0: Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for its native language, preaching, heralding, where we listen to good news announced. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless your word as it is proclaimed, and your people as they hear it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Well, I suppose we can call it success that nobody's been electrocuted after the tidal wave. What a, what a wonderful morning, the Lord saving his people and publicly, visibly giving them signs of his covenant so all can identify somebody who trusts in his son. What a glorious morning. There are times when the promises of God uh, to his people and even the promises that he's made to the Lord Jesus Christ, they seem unlikely to come true. Like being 20 nothing down 20 nothing with one minute to go in a hockey game. Seems very unlikely that you are going to win that game. There's also times when the promises don't just seem unlikely to come true, but they seem as if they've already failed, like being down 20 nothing after the final buzzer. Now, this is actually one of the recurring themes in the Bible, in the events in the history that the Bible records. Abraham and Sarah being past the years of childbearing, while well, having a promise from God that their son would become a great people through, through whom all the world would receive God's salvation. Elijah grieving that all of God's people had turned from him, that no one worshiped God. And then you also have the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he comes and he public, publicly proves that he is the Messiah by signs and wonders fulfilling prophecies that he could not have fulfilled unless he was, in fact, the Messiah. But he's killed, dead, very publicly before he establishes his kingdom. In all of those situations, you look like a fool for trusting in the promises sworn by God in his word. Perhaps you don't even just look just like a fool, you look like you're an immoral person for clinging to those promises and telling others to do the same. Now, I'd be, a, I'd be surprised if you've been a Christian for any number of years and you've not felt that same kind of pain, that same kind of sorrow, that same kind of shame, the, the same kind of despair creep up and perhaps even be the loudest voice in your head where it looks foolish to trust the promises that God has made to his people. Now, perhaps it's the promise that God will make you holy, his promise that he will make Christians holy. Perhaps that's the promise that seems like it is failing, or perhaps even has already failed. So why, why would I even press into that promise? Why would I trust God for that? It maybe I'm unsavable. Maybe it's the promise that God will keep and care for those who trust in Christ and that he will treat them as his dearly and affectionately beloved, blood bought heirs, his children the hardships, the financial stress, the sickness, the death of loved ones, maybe the abuse or rejection from loved ones, perhaps these things all add up to make it look like God's promises to lovingly keep you have already failed. Now, there is perhaps no 15-year period when the promises of God and the covenants of God have seemed to have already failed than in the history that we're going to read recorded in our texts this morning. It looks like the promises of God first look like they're very likely to fail, and then it actually looked for a number of years as if God's promises had already failed. They had already failed, already done. And God had actually authored those events and then authored the Scripture recording those events so that His people would know that they are never fools to trust the promises that God has made to his people. You may look foolish, and you might even feel despair, but, oh, church, you are never a fool to trust in the promises that the Lord God has sworn to his Messiah and to the people of his Messiah. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles Chapter 21. 2 Chronicles, chapter 21. We're going to read all the way to 22, verse 10. And in these passages, we're actually going to get our, in this first grouping of uh, texts, we're going to find uh, three points. So, 2 Chronicles 21, verse 1, we're going to find the following three points. See if you can see this with me. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, first point. Second is intimacy. As business, God hates intimacy as business. That's our second point. And the third point is the wraths, with an S, facing the stump of Jesse. We're going to find those all in our first section of Scripture. So, 2 Chronicles chapter 21. And by the way, side note, one of the most exciting and fascinating parts of history that have ever happened. Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jooram, his son, reigned in his place. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat: Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, Shephathah, sorry, Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their fathers gave them great gifts of silver, gold, and valuable possessions. "'together with fortified cities in Judah, "'but he gave the kingdom to Jehoram "'because he was the firstborn. "'When Jehoram had ascended to the throne of his father "'and was established, "'he killed all his brothers with the sword "'and also some of the princes of Israel. "'Jehoram was 32 years when he became king "'and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, "'and he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel "'as the house of Ahab had done, "'for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, "'and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord.' Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant he had made with David. And since he had promised to give him a lamp to him and to his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Jehoram passed over with his commanders and all his chariots. And he rose by night and struck the Edomites who had surrounded him and his chariot commanders. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. And at that time, Libnah also revolted from his rule because he had forsaken the Lord, the God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the hill country of Judah and led the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom and made Judah go astray. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, because you've not walked uh, in the ways of Jehoshaphat your father or in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. And have enticed Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom, As the house of Ahab led Israel into whoredom. You also have killed your brothers and of your father's house who were better than you. Behold, the Lord will bring a great plague on your people, your children, your wives, and all of your possessions. And you yourself will have severe sickness with a disease of your bowels. Until your bowels come out because of the disease day by day. And the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the anger of the Philistines and of the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians. And they came against Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions they found that belonged to the king's house, and also his sons and his wives, so that no son was left to him except Jehoahaz, his youngest son. And after all this, the Lord struck him in his bowels with an incurable disease In the course of time, at the end of two years, his bowels came out because of the disease, and he died in great agony. His people made no fire in his honor, like fires made for his fathers. He was 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he departed with no one's regret. They buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place. For the band of men that came with the Arabians to the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, they were his counselors to his undoing. He even followed their counsel and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to make war against Hazael, king of Syria, at at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram. And he returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that he had received at Ramah when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria. And Ah Ah Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was wounded, but it was ordained by God that the downfall of Ahaziah should come about through his visit to Joram. For when he came there, He went out with Jehoram to meet Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to destroy the house of Ahab. And when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he met the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who attended Ahaziah, and he killed them. He searched for Ahaziah, and he was captured while hiding in Samaria, and he was brought to Jehu and put to death. They buried him. For they said, he is the grandson of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all his heart. And the house of Ahaziah had no one able to rule the kingdom. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. Thus far the word of the Lord. First point. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, Jehoshaphat is one of the heirs to David's throne, right? He's he's down in the line, and God had promised David that he would always have an heir. He left his sons with great wealth and honor, and he had actually received this from the Lord who had promised this to the sons of David. If you seek me, the little M Messiahs, if you seek me, you walk in my ways, I'm going to bless you so that your nation would be blessed. The people of the Messiah would be blessed if he was righteous and he divided this wealth and honor amongst his sons. He gave, Jeho- so Jehoshaphat gave his sons this gift, but he also gave Jehoram, his oldest son and the heir to the throne. He gave him another gift, another legacy, but this was a terrible gift. A toxic gift that's going to bring the family to the brink of extinction three times in 15 years. He gave him a marriage alliance with Israel, the wicked wayward tribes who had rejected God's covenant. He gave him a marriage covenant with them, an allegiance, an alliance with Israel. He gave to him a life filled with Ahab's family. The most notorious of Israel's kings, Ahab and his wife Jezebel, were a most disgustingly wicked and selfish and idolatrous and murderous couple. You can read their stories in the books of Kings. Now, their daughter, Athaliah, was no different. Ahab's family became his counselors, his confidants, his friends, the ones he spent his time with, the ones who shaped how he thought and what he loved and what he feared. And now we see that's also true of his son, Jehoahaz. So you have Jehoram and then you have Jehoahaz. Both of these men are in the line of David, little m messiahs, but their lives are shaped by the family of Ahab. And this is a mistake that they made. They thought they were strong enough That the words of God in Psalm 1 didn't apply to them. Where he says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Do not sit in the seat of scoffers or you will be destroyed with them. And yet they filled their lives, they filled their ears, they filled their counsel with these people. And we can sort of apply this here today. We're not called to leave the world or physically separate ourselves from unbelievers, but there is this command that we seek our counsel. I'm going to borrow a word from Anne of Green Gables, if you don't mind. Our bosom friends, our counselors, our advisors, those whom we run to, those whom, who sort of shape our lives are to be the ones who trust in the covenants of God so that they can help us run to and trust in the covenants of God. But Jehoshaphat did not give this legacy to his children, and so it was their undoing. It was, and it is, most clearly true of marriage, isn't it? So, he failed to believe the warning, the warning of a father to a son. When the Lord speaks to his people, he speaks father to son in this way. Don't walk in this way, son. It will be your undoing. But Jehoshaphat thought he was strong enough that he did not need to heed God's fatherly wisdom. Second point from this section is that the Lord hates intimacy as business. We'll parenthesis that as whoring. We're gonna use that word. We're only gonna use that word briefly because it does appear in our text more than once. Now, the point that we want to see here is that the Lord loves marriage. He also loves singleness, the kind of singleness that honors marriage. And he despises adultery, premarital sex. He despises unfaithfulness of a husband. He despises divorce and the breaking of a covenant union. But in Scripture... God also calls idolatry, so the worship of other gods, he calls this whoring. He calls it adultery, and we're going to call that intimacy as business today. Intimacy in exchange for services, or in exchange for money, in exchange for attention, in exchange for kindness, in exchange for care. And the reason God hates this is that God is nothing like the gods of the nations. God is a covenant God. You would have seen that word. You're going to find that word several times coming in the next passages. It's going to be gorgeous. God is a covenant God. That means his relationships with his people is one that marriage most clearly represents. Union, intimacy, love in a covenant sworn by God. And now the result of this is that we are free to love God not in order to get things from him. He's already sworn that. We're free to love God not in order to make him faithful to us because he's already sworn that. We're free to love God not to get him to answer prayers because he's already sworn that. We're free to love God because he first loved us and he put us in an unbreakable covenant with him. And so in Scripture, Christ is the groom. The church is the bride. She does not have intimate moments with him so that he will keep her around or pay attention to him or pay attention to her or to keep him from looking elsewhere. No, his love for the church is secured by his oath, a public oath with God, as is marriage of two becoming one permanently And this is why that the Lord Jesus Christ can consider the church's sins as if they were his own. Did you realize that? Because God has put them in a covenant union, a marriage, two becoming one permanently. That's why the Lord Jesus on the cross could consider the church's sins as if they were his own. Oh, but it's also the reason why he can consider his righteousness as if it's the church's own, because they have been made One in a permanent covenant union by the Lord. And so when somebody claims to belong to God and claims to trust his promises and that runs to other gods or other idols, the the Bible says that this is whoring. This is adultery. Because the church has one husband. And he is a good husband. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of the sons of David, as you go through the, whole, the, the course of time, and you see this with these two kings that we've mentioned here already, they lead Israel, who is the, the bride. They lead her into adultery. And what we see here is that the Lord God is not like the gods of the nations. He keeps his covenant even when his people do not. He is faithful to his promises even when he has zero reasons to do so. Our God is a good and covenant God. Brings us to our third point, the wrath's facing the stump of Jesse. Now the Lord made a covenant with his people, and he did this with David. And here's the covenant, that he would give him an everlasting throne whereby all of God's people would receive great blessings forever. So he's promised this kingdom. This wonderful, everlasting, perfect, and beautiful kingdom to enjoy God's love. And that he said that this kingdom will be reigned over by a son of David. So God has sworn this kingdom promises to his people. And by the way, it's going to be a son of David who's going to reign over it. And so you're, you're, you're meant to, as we see Scripture recording history, you're, you're meant to trace the sons of David. Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? When are we going to get this glorious, everlasting, beautiful, joyful kingdom where we're going to dwell with the Lord in perfect peace and rest? You're supposed to trace this line. And one of the things that we see is that the enemy of God hates God, and hates this promise, and will do everything he can to snuff out the line of David. And so you see the wrath of the enemy of God zeroed in on the heir of David, because he wants to kill the promises of God. He wants to make God a liar who couldn't keep his promises, and he hates the line of David, and he keeps trying to destroy it. It explains Pharaoh's destruction of the sons of Israel in Egypt. It explains Herod's destruction of the baby boys of Bethlehem when the Lord Jesus was born. But there was another wrath that loomed over the house of David, and this is a worse wrath. This wasn't the wrath of the enemy of God of Satan against them. This wrath was a worse wrath facing the line of David. And this is the wrath of God. Because the line of David and all of their people that they reigned over were sinners who rebelled against God. And they had sin that needed to be punished. They had the wrath of God facing their sin. And this is why you see Edom comes to rebel against the son of David. And who sent Edom to do that? It says the Lord did. We see that the line of David has a worse wrath facing, facing them. And that is because of their sin. Now, in our passage, we see the line of Ahab, which is the, he's the king of the northern tribes, the, the rebel tribes. And the David tribes are in this, the, the David uh, kingdom is in the south, okay? And we see that Ahab's line, he's the, such a wicked, wicked king. And in our passage, we got to see his line absolutely snuffed out. No more heirs left over. Did you notice that? Just absolutely destroyed because of their complete wickedness. The throne was ripped away from them. Their heirs destroyed. Did you notice that? But you're also meant to see that, that David's line joins in with them and is as bad as them. But what you see is that each time that they're going to get the punishment that the, the Ahab kings get, God spares them for the sake of his covenant that he made with David. God is not willing to break that covenant. It was an everlasting covenant because he has promised a kingdom to his people ruled by a son of David where he will dwell with them in perfect joy and he's never going to break that. And so he's not going to let the line of David be snuffed out. The final son of David was the Lord Jesus Christ who had come several hundred years later. And he lived perfectly for his people. And though he had no sin on the cross, that's when the wrath of God fell on the son of David in full. But this time it wasn't for his sin. When this son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died, when he was facing the wrath of God, it was for the sins of all the people who belonged to him. Dear brothers and sisters, if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, he took the wrath of God, which is way worse than anybody else's wrath. He took your punishment for your sin in full. And he died and he was buried. And he rose from the dead on the third day. And after 40 days, of living on the earth, demonstrating that he was risen. He ascended to the throne in heaven where he reigns over all things for the glory of God and the good of the people whose sin he died for on the cross. Brings us to our fourth point, And that is this. Embrace the covenant while its glory looks foolish to the world. Embrace the covenant while its glory looks foolish to the world. So let's continue reading at verse 11 then, okay? But Jehoshabeth. so we, we just finished off, Athaliah has found every single heir to the throne. Everyone in that family, she has executed all of them, even the little boys, all of them. Not one is left. All of them are dead, gone. But, ooh, but Jehoshaphat, the daughter of of the king took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who are about to be put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king Jehoram and wife of Jehoiada, the priest, because she was a sister to Ahaziah, she hid him from Athaliah so that she did not put him to death. And he remained with them six years hidden in the house of God while Athaliah reigned over the land. But in the seventh year, Jehoiada took courage and entered into a covenant with the commanders of hundreds Azariah the son of Jehoram, Ishmael the son of Jehonahan, Azariah the son of Obed, Messiah the son of Adiah, and Elishaphat the son of Zikri. And they went about through Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the heads of fathers' houses of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. And all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And Jehoiada said to them, Behold the king's son. Let him reign as the Lord spoke concerning the sons of David. This is the thing you shall do. If you priests and Levites who come off duty on the Sabbath, of you priests and Levites who come off duty on the Sabbath, one-third shall be gatekeepers, and one-third shall be at the king's house, and one-third at the gate of the fountain, and all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. Let no one enter the house of the Lord except the priests and ministering Levites. They may enter, for they are holy, but all the people shall keep the charge of the Lord. The Levites shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand, and whoever enters the house shall be put to death. Be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. We'll leave it off there. So the wife of the priest named Jehoshabeth, and she also happened to be the aunt of all those boys who were being killed, those heirs to David's throne, who were to be slaughtered by Athaliah, her grandmother. She grabbed the youngest, Joash, And she and her husband hid him in the temple for six years. And in the seventh year, the priest Jehoiada became courageous. And he quietly went throughout the kingdom to the priests and the chiefs. And he shared the gospel of the son of David being in the temple. The son of David is alive and he's in the temple. He shares this good news, this gospel. He spoke a covenant from God between these men and God and the son of David. God would be their God, and they would be his people. The son of David would be their king, and they would be his people. And these people entrusted themselves to that covenant, which God had sworn to David. And in the promise of God, at great risk to their lives, they embraced that covenant because Athaliah would have very much loved to kill them if she found out that they had received a covenant ceremony from the son of David. Can you imagine if Athaliah found out that these people had, made, had received a covenant ceremony with the son of David? Very much like Matthias and Mariel received today. A covenant ceremony signifying that they have a covenant with the son of David. Then the day comes. So there's little Joash, great son of David, seven years old, and he's in the middle of the temple, and he's surrounded by concentric rings of people, and did you notice, oh, you you haven't haven't read that yet, but these people are holding the ancient weapons of King David, They've got the ancient weapons of King David, his, his ancestor. They found them and they're holding these old weapons to defend their king. And the, and the people who had heard the good news of Joash and entrusted themselves to that covenant of God with David, they, they also came and they formed more and more and more rings around the temple holding weapons, and they're also now holding instruments to celebrate the covenant love of God, his promise of that kingdom, that eternal kingdom ruled by the son of David. He hasn't broken his promise. And so when Joash is presented, the place erupts in praise to the Lord. Now I want you to imagine being in that temple Imagine you have taken trumpet lessons as a young child, and you hated every single minute of those trumpet lessons. You hated it, and and year after year, you got better, and you started to enjoy playing the trumpet. I kind of like this. I'm kind of good. You pick it up every once in a while and play some music. And can you imagine holding a trumpet that day in a circle, around the son of David and playing it, this is the reason I learned to play the trumpet. God has kept his covenant. And I didn't even know he did. I love the Lord because he heard our cries for mercy and he's forgiven us our sin and he's kept his steadfast love and his love endures forever. He's not left me without a king to reign over me for God's promises and love to be enjoyed. I love the Lord, you would say. Now, imagine holding David's ancient shields. And you know the son of David is alive, even though the rest of the world thinks he's dead. And you know it would cost you your life if the queen found out about this. You just don't care. All those times that you play fought with your brothers with fake shields and swords, (laughs) we're just practicing for this moment. Brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David, has come. And the world hates him. And because of it, the world hates the people who trust in the covenant between him and God and his people. And we are considered shameful for trusting those promises and acting like we trust those promises. For now we celebrate Christ's kingship while it looks foolish, and it is often at great cost. Every day, dear brothers and sisters, we have brothers and sisters who die because they have publicly identified that they are in a covenant with the son of David, and they just don't care because the Lord Jesus Christ has died for their sins. He will reign forever, and he will raise them from the dead. Did you notice how Joash, this little king, he conquered many of those people simply by the good news being shared with them? When Jehoiada went through all the land and he he shared that good news, the son of David's alive, he's in the temple. He conquered most of that kingdom just by the word of that good news. They became glad subjects of the son of David. And so we don't, Fight in this life for the gospel with swords or guns or shields. But the Lord Jesus Christ fights for his people with the sword that he holds. And if we look at the picture in Scripture, this vision of him, he's got the sword coming out of his mouth, his word, his gospel. By it he conquers, and by it he slays. This is what happened to each person who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ after hearing that gospel. That he died for our sins and he rose from the dead to make us children of God to have eternal life. This is what happened. He killed you. You died. Matthias died. Mariel died when they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He kills you to make you alive in him, to make you a new creation. The word of the gospel slays us so that we might live. This is why Matthias and Marielle were buried under the water in baptism before coming out alive, because the Lord ended their life and gave them a new one. And I have to say, I've never seen a more violent baptism than Matthias's baptism, but very appropriate, because it does symbolize the Lord coming with his word to end our lives and give us a new one, to raise us to newness of life. Now that celebration before the false queen is removed. So, so, so far, Athalia, the false queen, she, she still thinks she's reigning, right? She's not yet removed. And there's that celebration though. The people of the son of David, even though the false queen hasn't been deposed yet, they're celebrating. And, and that is so much like our worship services every Sunday, isn't it? We gather to rejoice in the son of David and he's in our midst by his spirit. We rejoice, we confess his faith and his promises and of his love and his faithfulness. And we gladly say that we are his people and that he is king, not anyone else who claims to be. We confess that he is Lord while the world hates what we say, doesn't believe it and thinks we are foolish. But we are not fools because the son of David does live He rose from the dead and he will return to judge the living and the dead. And that brings us to our last point. Meditate on the glorious revealing of the son of David and his covenant brothers and sisters. Meditate on the glorious revealing of the son of David and his covenant brothers and sisters. We're gonna finish off our chapter here. Turn with me to verse eight. Right, so we got the people in the temple surrounding the king. The Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And they they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath. For Jehoiada the priest did not dismiss the divisions. And Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains the spears and the large and small shields that had been King David's which were in the house of God. And he set all the people as guard for the king, every man with his weapon in his hand from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house. And they brought out the king's son. They put a crown on him and gave him the testimony or the word of God. And they proclaimed him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him. And they said, Long live the king. And Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king. She went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance. And the captains and the trumpeters beside the king. And all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And the singers with their musical instruments leading in the celebration. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, treason, treason. Then Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains who were set over the army, saying to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and anyone who follows her is to be put to death with the sword. For the priest said, Do not put her to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and she went went into the the entrance of the horse gate of the king's house, and and they put her to death there. And Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people, and the king, that they should be the Lord's people. Then all the people went, in, went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke into pieces. They killed Matin, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And Jehoiada posted watchmen for the house of the Lord under the direction of the Levitical priests and the Levites, whom David had organized to be charge of the house of the Lord, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and singing according to the order of David. He stationed the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord so that no one should enter who was in any way unclean. And he took the captains, the nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the upper gate to the king's house. And they set the king on the royal throne. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athalia had been put to death with the sword. Thus far, the word of the Lord Athalia is disposed, disposed, deposed, and disposed. She's never really a ruler but acting as if she is over the people who believe she is. And in that moment, I want you to think of yourself in that moment. Nothing would be more valuable to you than to have a covenant with the son of David and the God of Israel. Nothing would be more valuable than that. If you gave up everything you had to have that, to have a covenant with God and the son of David, you would be rich. Now those who had not been slain by the sort of the promise were then slain by a steel sword and physically killed. They were exposed as the fools for not trusting the promises of the God who created the universe, who created us and who cannot lie. And so dear friends, the word of the gospel that Christ is Lord and that he died for the sins of his people and that he rose from the dead, that word, that sword is coming for you to slay you. So believe it and trust yourself to that promise and trust yourself to the one who made that promise and die to self that you might live be slain by the sword of the gospel before he returns in glory because he will slay physically and violently his enemies when he returns in power. And instead of Jesus receiving what they deserve on the cross, they themselves will get what they deserve from God. Now, dear church, brothers and sisters in Christ, meditate much, ponder Enjoy the sure hope of that moment when your faith is made sight and the Lord Jesus returns in glory to reign over a world that is now purged of sin. It's actually even purged of your sin. Purged of all the sin stains and curse, the stains of sorrow and loneliness and worry and poverty and death. Imagine being with the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a world that he rules perfectly where there is no sin. Imagine living in a world that is what he deserves. This is the sure hope of everyone who belongs to the son of David. Not so much people who have made a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, but People who have, God has made a covenant with, covenant promises, and we believe his promises that he makes to us. Oh, dear church, for now the sons and daughters of God adopted by the work of Christ, we are kind of hidden. The world doesn't see us as children of God. But they also don't know that Christ lives. And one day he will be revealed and so too will all those who believe in him revealed as beloved sons and daughters of God. Dear church, hope in that day and rejoice in it even before it happens. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice that though your people have given you so many reasons to break your promises, so many reasons to break your promise to give us the son of david to perfectly reign over us that you have never broken that promise we thank you that you're not like the gods of the nations and you're not like us we thank you that you kept your promise and that you actually gave your son who entered the line of david who became a son of david so that he could fulfill all the promises that you ever made to your people God, I pray that you give us courage to even now in a world that doesn't love you, to publicly identify ourselves as the people who believe that Jesus is King and Lord, who publicly believe and confess that he has risen from the dead and that he died for our sins. Lord, make us faithful to cling to those promises, that we would be found holding on to them when Christ returns in glory. And Lord, we pray that you would haste that day. In Jesus' name, amen.